we've become so sophisticated that we say to ourselves we don't need God. We need God's love today, more today than any time in history. People are more lonely today. There are more suicides today. That emptiness is there, and it can only be filled by God himself. In the United Kingdom and the Western world, the need for hope has never been greater. Franklin Graham's passion is seeing lives transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He began his life in ministry by reaching out to those in desperate need. For decades, he's led humanitarian efforts around the world to ease human suffering and has inspired many to act as the hands and feet of Jesus. We never know what a tender touch, a prayer, a soft word, you never know what that will do in a person's life years down the road. Some of these kids will remember that uh, when their life fell apart, there were Christians that uh, prayed over them and loved them. Franklin was profoundly influenced by his father, Billy Graham, and responded to his own calling to preach the gospel. Wow, what a night. People are searching. Something is missing and they can't quite put their finger on it. And when they hear the gospel, it's all of a sudden, it's like a light switch goes off. This is what I've been looking for. First of all, I want you to know this. If you don't remember anything else tonight, God loves you. He loves you. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And if you'll believe on the name of Jesus Christ tonight, if you'll trust him by faith and ask for his forgiveness and turn from your sins, God will forgive you and he'll heal your heart. You may never have a chance like this again. Come. Until the Lord comes back, we are to take the gospel to as many places as we possibly can. We want to preach this wonderful gospel, how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and whom God raised a lot. We want the world to know that. And that's why we're here, because we have the greatest message of hope. We have the message of hope for the hopeless in our world. Yeah. I once heard somebody say that Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where they found the bread. And we know where we found the bread, where we found the bread of life, where we found hope. Because we know that hope is not a thing, hope is not a concept, but we know that hope is a person, and that person is Jesus. So we have the honor and the privilege of pointing people to Jesus. Yeah, come on, let's, come on, yeah? We do, let's do that. So my name is Leon, this is my home church, so I'm, I'm on home turf right now, feeling pretty good. I lead the drama team here. I've been here for about 10 years, I got saved about 10 years ago. And ever since I've come to know Jesus, I've had a passion for other people coming to know him. So I've tried many different ways of sharing the gospel. Some successful, some not so successful. One of my successful ways of sharing the gospel is, um, I've only started driving in like the past three or four years. So I used to take the bus a lot. And I'd be on the bus thinking, God, I don't know if any of these people on the bus know you. So after a few times of thinking this, I said, you know what, God, I'm going to have to do something. So I kind of went home, kind of formulated a little plan. And then one day I was on the bus on the way into town. And I just got up at the front of the bus and said, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Everyone was like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> I 
As I said, hi, my name is Leon. I want to share a quick story with you. In about two or three minutes, I quickly shared my testimony and gave them the gospel. And a lot of people, surprisingly, they responded so well. Sometimes I even got a round of applause. <laughs> One time, a little old lady, might be the same little old lady that Mark met. <laughs> After I finished, she tried to give me three pounds. And I was like, if the other people wasn't watching, I probably would have took it, but I didn't want to, you know, I was like, it's all right, love, you give it to charity or something. So that was one of some of my successful times of sharing the gospel. And not so successful time was once I was in City Road Hospital, and I was just leaving, and as I was leaving, I was in the elevator, and I was coming down the elevator, I was like, okay, God, you know, maybe there's somebody you want me to share your message with. So as I came down, I came out of the elevator, and I didn't know which way the exit was, so I was kind of thinking, okay, which way is the exit? And as I was kind of looking around, really lost, this young lady came along, and she must have saw me kind of looking lost. So she goes to me, um, are you looking for something? So I thought, aha, this is it. This is the God moment I've been waiting for. So when she says to me, hi, are you looking for something? I went, yes, you. <laughs> the horror on her face. She literally recoiled back like this. Like every horror movie she ever saw came to life right there. Not so successful. Basically, I think it's all about, you know what, giving it a go. Sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't. But I think God, he just really appreciates when we give it a go. And it's all about trial and error, coming to things like this, learning and being equipped so we can give it a go. Okay, so I have a few questions for you. So can you be an effective witness? I want to hear a big yes or a big no. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So, do you have faith in the power of God? Yes. Right answer. Tick. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit will guide you? Yes. Awesome. That's another tick. Do you believe that the Word of God is living and powerful? Yes. Awesome. And finally, do you believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Awesome. That's resounding yeses all around the room. Great. Because it's time to make your preach meet the practice. And you all have an opportunity to do that by volunteering to become a response counsellor at the Graham Tour event in June. So in June, in the Birmingham Arena, we're going to have a massive Graham Tour event. Thousands of people are going to be there. Thousands of non-Christians are going to be there. And we're going to need response counsellors to come and help help those people who are going to make that invitation to come to Christ to help them take those initial steps. So that's what the role of a response counselor is. And I'll be coming back to this at the end of this session. So let's carry on. So a few things we need to remember in order to be effective witnesses for Christ. First thing is to witness with your life. So this is what Mark covered in the first session. This is important because sometimes people don't really want to hear what we have to say. They think that they've heard it all. They're not really interested in hearing about Christianity or hearing about the Bible. So sometimes it's going to be our life that's going to pave the way for that message. There's a popular saying or a famous saying where it says, make your life the Bible that people read. So sometimes how we live will pave the way for God's message. So we need to witness with our life. So I thought about this. I thought, okay, God, what one characteristic do you think that we should kind of focus on? So let me ask you, so what one characteristic do you think should mark a Christian life? What one characteristic? Let me hear. I heard somebody say it. Somebody say it again. Love. love. I'm going with love. I'm not sure you had good answers as well, but I'm going to go with love because that's what I've prepared. So 
love. I think love should be a mark of all of our lives. I think when people look at us, they should see love. A love for God, a love for others, and a love for ourselves. And I think it's so important that we as Christians have a healthy, godly love for ourselves. I don't think there's anything more unattractive than a miserable, defeated-looking Christian. Jesus loves you. Do you want to come to church? Um, I won't be coming to church because it doesn't look like Jesus loves you. We need to make sure that we have a healthy love for ourselves. This is so important. God loves us. God loves you. Right? He does. I'm going to do something that Mark makes us do on Sundays. Some people hate it. I love it because I love socially awkward moments. I want you to turn to somebody and say to them, God loves me. Good. Now turn to somebody else and say it with even more power. God loves me. Good. God does love you. And we need to show people that we know that God loves us. The Bible says that we'll be a people characterized by love. So it show people that we know that God is love because we know how much he loves us. And then we can show them how much he loves them. So we need to show people how much God loves them by loving them and caring for them. And there's so many different ways that we can care and love people. We can show people love with our words, people in your family, people at work. Show them love with your words. Say to them, you know what? I hope you have a really good day. Say to them, you know what? I really respect you. Say, you know what? I see how hard you work. Say to them, you know what? God loves you. I know everybody else might be giving you a hard time, but let me just tell you, I know that God loves you and he cares about you. Show love with our words. Show love with our actions, with how we serve people. Show love by taking out the trash. Husbands. Show love by washing up the dishes. Husbands. All these little acts of service that we can show to our family, show to our friends, and show to the people that we work with. Let's show them love by the little things that we do. And even little things that we give to them. Maybe we can give somebody a little card or a little gift or a little present. It doesn't have to be something expensive. But just something to say that, look, I'm thinking and I'm caring about you. And I love you and I want you to know that you're important. They show love. Sometimes we can give somebody a hug or a kiss on the cheek. Careful with that one now. You know, let's show people love because we're meant to be people characterized by love. And let's show people love that we know that God loves us and that we love him. So let's, be, let's make sure we witness with our life. Second, let's pray for open doors. So the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4, he asked the followers of Christ to pray that God would open a door to his message. See, there's people in our lives and it just seems like there's absolutely no way the gospel's going to get into them. But I could say the same thing about me. And maybe you could say the same thing about you or other people in this room, that there was a time in your life that you had absolutely no interest in God or Jesus. And look where you are on Saturday morning. That's evidence that God can open doors that nobody can keep shut. So let's pray for God to open the doors to those people who are in our lives. And present the person of Jesus Christ. See, what I've found is that when I talk to people about God, they immediately go to thinking about, oh, you want me to come to church? which means I can't go out on Saturday night, and you probably want me to stop swearing and stop smoking, which basically translates to them is they, want, they think we want them to be boring. That's not what we're presenting. What we need to present is a loving, vibrant relationship with God, the God of the universe. Yeah, the God of the universe. Just think about it. Sometimes I just think, God, 
Are you really in my life? The God of the universe is in our lives? If we really just think about that for a moment, just think, the God who created all of the galaxies, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, that God is in our lives. That's the God that we need to present to people. And we need to show people that God wants us to have not just an eternal life, but an abundant life. Because there's been a couple of times I've said to people, God can give you eternal life. And they said to me, I don't want to live forever. An eternity of work and bills, that sounds like hell. So we need to show people it's not just quality, but quantity of life. That Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. So let's present that Jesus. And we need to stress the love of God. Because when we're talking to people, I think sometimes we come at the wrong angle. The love of God, that's what we need to stress. John 3.16, it sums it all up. For God so hated sin that he judged the world. Is that it? Is that sometimes how we may present it though? Do we sometimes maybe present it that way because we want people to see the urgency that they need to get right with God? So maybe we go straight for the hard stuff because we want it to hit home. But that's not the message. What's John 3.16? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, we get to the perish part, but we have to start with love. Let's start with love. And we've got to keep it simple. So before I, came, before I became a Christian, I spoke one language. I spoke English. Now I'm a Christian, I speak two languages. I speak English and Christianese. <laughs> How art thou, brother? How art thou, sister? Isn't our sovereign Lord holy? I feel him sanctifying me. I feel my heart being circumcised daily. And then we speak to our non-Christian friends and they're like, you can keep your circumcision to yourself. No, I will not be coming to church with you on Sunday. We need to speak in a language that people understand. So people who don't understand can come to understand. Because that's just what God is like. Jesus, he came down so we could know God and understand him. He made God tangible. So let's keep it simple. Keep our message simple. And finally, we need to listen to what people say. See, I know that we believe that we have the answer. That we have the answer. And I believe we do. I believe that Jesus is the answer. But sometimes we need to listen to what people's question is before we give them the answer. It's like going to the doctor. So, you know, you know, you're not sleeping right, you're not eating right, you're not feeling right, your body's not moving right. So you go to a doctor, and you sit down in the doctor's chair, and before you can say anything, the doctor hands you a prescription, and he says, take this or you're going to die. Now, good qualified doctors don't do that. But is that sometimes what we do with people? Maybe a person will come and say something to us. Maybe they'll present a symptom. They'll say, you know what? I'm arguing with my spouse. And straight away, we jump to the cure. We say, you guys need Jesus. And they're like, why do we need Jesus? We're not arguing about Jesus. You see, this is why I'm not coming to church with you on Sunday. We need to listen to what people say first. So what happens when we go to a doctor? This is what should happen if you go to a good and qualified doctor. So, you're not feeling right, you're not sleeping right, you're not eating right. You go to a doctor, you sit down, 
you tell the doctor what's going on. The doctor hears what's going on in your life, and then he hears, okay, these are the symptoms. And what the doctor will do is he'll ask you a few more questions. He'll say, okay, what's been going on? How long has this been going on for? Are there any other symptoms? Is there anything else going on in your life? And maybe he'll do a few tests. He'll take your heart rate, you know, check your blood pressure. And then, one moment, please. <coughs> Talk to me now. <coughs> And then, whoa, come back, come back, come back, come back. Mm. So, <clears throat> what happened is, so the doctor, he'll find out about our symptoms. And then, once he's got our symptoms, he'll make a diagnosis. So, you'll go in and think, okay, this is my problem. But after he's listened and asked more questions, he'll say, oh, actually, this is the problem. See, you may think this is the problem, but your problem is this. Now he can prescribe a suitable cure. That's what we need to do with people. People come to us, they say, you know what? I'm having a problem with my marriage, we're arguing. Listen, ask more questions. Then once you've done that, you'll probably think, aha, you're here. So you're arguing because maybe there's an issue like unforgiveness. Now God can speak into that issue. He can say to them, you know what? Relationships are so important to God. And he knows how important forgiveness is. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, one of the last things he said, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see, God understands that sometimes we don't know what we're doing. We don't know the impact of what we're doing. That's why forgiveness is so important. That's why it's so important that we listen to people. So when we speak to them, they can see that Jesus is actually relevant to their lives. Awesome. Okay. So this is our main scripture. I'm going to ask you all to read it out loud while I take a drink of water. Read it out loud. Awesome. Great. So in the first session, Mark looked at setting apart Christ as Lord. But how do we give an answer for the hope that we have? What do we say? Let's watch the screens. I spent a day in the shade of a tree Thinking how we best spend this precious time we've been given They are reckless and they're searching for true meaning in life. This is a critical time in the UK. We must proclaim the gospel like never before. There's a world out there that's dying. There's a world out there right outside that door that's going to hell. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? To support Christians in sharing their faith, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association developed the Christian Life and Witness course. It was a really simple way of understanding and how to talk to people about Jesus. The course explores how to live the effective and victorious Christian life. 
now have more courage to stand up and witness to people and talk more about my faith and what it means to be a Christian. The course also seeks to empower you to help new believers start their own lifelong walk with Jesus Christ. The Christian Life and Witness course is open to all who want to learn practical ways to share their faith. For more information, please visit our website. Great. Maybe next year we'll be on the video. Okay, so the Christian Life and Witness course was developed to equip Christians so they can share their faith. And what we found is over the thousands of courses that's taken place and the thousands of Christians that have done this course, not only has it equipped us in sharing our faith, but it's also stirred us up again. So we get like a fresh zeal as we revisit the passion of the gospel. So we're going to look at three witnessing methods, three great ways of how to share our faith. So the first method we're going to start with is called the three stories method. You'll find this on page 52 of your blue books if you want to turn there now. So, the three stories method contains three stories. Their story, our story, and God's story. So, we start with their story. I'm going to repeat that again, Christians. We start with their story. Oh, Christians, how I love you. You know, I used to be like you, Christians. (laughs) You know, you meet somebody for the first time, and they say, hi, what's your name? And you respond with, I have a new name now, (laughs) given to me by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who saved me from a dark life of cinema, pubs, and bingo. And he can do the same for you. Let me pray for you. I have a word from the Lord. Don't do that. (laughs) We start with their story. Why is it important that we start with their story? Simply because God cares about their story. So we need to care about their story. Because God cares about them, so we need to care about them. You see, I think what some people may think is that when we share our faith with them, are we sharing our faith with them because we actually care about them? Or are we doing it out of religious duty? Because there's a lot of faiths that do that. They share their faith not because they care about the person, but because they're doing it to fulfill their religious duty. But we need to be much different than that because we are a people who are empowered by love. The Bible says, let the love of Christ compel us. So we listen to a person's story so we can start to invest in them because it's hard to care about a person that you don't really know. But when you start to know a person, then you can begin to care about them. And when you hear their story, you can start saying, okay, God, what is it you want to say to this person? Because even though the gospel is a message for all of God's people, It's also a message for each of God's people individually. See, God will meet us all where we are individually. We all got met in different ways. So if we listen to a person's story, ask God, okay, God, how does your gospel message apply specially to this person? So we need to listen to their story. Because everybody has a need. Most people who don't know Christ, they don't wake up in the morning thinking, I need Jesus. They don't. I know that we probably do. I know that I do, especially this morning. (laughs) Jesus, please. (laughs) But people who don't know Jesus, they don't wake up in the morning thinking, I need Jesus. They wake up in the morning thinking, I need. 
They wake up in the morning thinking, I have a need. I have a need for my marriage. I have a need for my family. I have a need for my finances. I have a need for my health. I have a need for my mental health. I have a need for my emotional health. People wake up in the morning thinking about, you know what, they have needs. And there's some needs they just don't know how to meet because some needs they can't meet. And that's where God comes in. For instance, if, we have, if I have a need of water, I don't need to pray about it. The water's right here, thank God. <laughs> but if I have a need for something that I can't do anything about, that's why I need to go to God. So if we listen to people, find out what the needs are in their life, the needs that they can't do anything about, that's when we can try and speak into their lives and say, you know what, you may not be able to do anything about this need in your life, but I know a God who can do something about this need in your life. And not only can he do something about this need in your life, he wants to do something about this need in your life because he loves you. That's why it's so important for us to listen to people's story before we go in with our story. Okay? So once we listen to a person's story, then we can get onto the part that we like. We can go into our story. and We can tie in our story. And it's important that we tie in our story because that can lead us to God's story. So if we could all turn to pages 54 and 55 in our blue book, you will find an outline for your faith story. Page 54 and 55, you'll find an outline for your faith story. So it breaks it down. So your life before Christ, what was your life like before you became a Christian? And maybe you can relate this to the person you're talking to. So before you became a Christian, maybe you, know, you struggled with anger or unforgiveness. Or maybe before you became a Christian, your life was good, but something was missing. You, know, you can relate that to your friend's story. Or if you became a Christian when you were three years old, then you could say, you know, before I became a Christian, I used to have a couple of slaves. I used to extort them for money, make them clean up after me, and torture them through sleep deprivation. Then I came to Christ. Then we go on to two. How did your relationship with Jesus begin? So, how did you hear about Jesus? What did you hear about Jesus? And how did you respond to Jesus? So as you share this with people, They'll have ideas of, okay, this, I've actually heard that as well. And maybe this is how I can respond. So we show them how we responded to Jesus. And then, what was your like after you became a Christian? What was your like after you became a Christian? So all of us have a story. This is my story. My story is, I'm 37 years old. Up until the age of 27, you can't talk to me about God. You talk to me about God, I think you're either weak or uneducated. I saw absolutely no need for God. I looked around me and the Christians I saw, I thought, mm, no thank you. If I was ever to be religious, I would have been ABC, anything but Christ. I, had, I saw no need for God. But I did have a need. See, my need was for validation. I needed to feel like I was worth something. Because when I was in school, I got teased a lot. I got teased for being really tall and really thin. I had really bad skin. And for a black person, I'm quite dark. And in some cultures around the world, you might know this, that they prefer people with lighter skin. So even my black friends at school, they made fun of me because of my dark skin. So I was so insecure. So I grew up throughout my teenage years being very insecure. 
And this carried on even to my late teens and early 20s. I had a need. I wanted to feel like I was worth something. I came across acting. I started doing acting when I was in school. And when I was doing acting, when I was on stage, I was like, this feels good. I actually feel like I'm a person of value. So I thought, aha, that's what I'm going to do. That's what's going to give me my sense of value. That's what's going to fill that need I have in my life. I'm going to become a famous actor. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a famous actor. I'm going to get an Oscar. And then all those girls who said no, they're going to be like, oh, Leon, can we go out? I'm going to be like, uh, no. <laughs> so that was my plan. I'm going to be a famous actor. And I loved traveling. I loved traveling. I wanted to be like an adventurous traveler. I used to call myself the Black Bear Grills. I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to act and travel. And I had a mantra. My mantra was, if I can act and travel, I've won. So that's what I went for. I pursued it for years. I went to lots of auditions. And after lots of, lots of, lots of years of striving, I got it. That thing I wanted, that acting and traveling dream I was searching for so long, I actually got it. I found myself abroad, acting on a blockbuster film with Hollywood actors, with a director who I always wanted to act with. So that dream that I was chasing all my life, I got it. But it felt like nothing. I was just like, whoa. What? It, it knocked me for six. And I remember having a Skype conversation with my mom. My mom's over there. Hi, mom. And my mom was like, son, how do you feel? Because she knew that I was chasing this for so long. And she probably thought that was it. I've made it. But I remember saying to my mom, I don't feel like anything. It didn't do anything for me. I was as empty as ever. And that's when my life started to take a real downturn. I started doing things I said I'd never do. I started crossing lines I said I'd never cross. Because life was meaningless. By some kind of circumstance, I had to come back to England to attend my sister's wedding. So I came back to England, and my plan was to come back to England go to the wedding and then go back abroad and carry on with my crazy, meaningless life. But God. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> he had a different plan. So I came back and I started meeting up with my cousin. My cousin, he was a Christian for two years and he started telling me about God. And I was like, you're an idiot. And he was trying to tell me things like ultimate truth, like, oh, Leon, you know, this is black. I'm like, no, it's not. If I believe this is pink, it's pink. If I believe it's a rainbow, it's a rainbow. Whatever I believe is true, it's true. And he's trying to tell me, no, there's, so much, there's such a thing as the ultimate truth because there's one God. And I remember leaving his house thinking, oh, my, my poor, uneducated, untraveled cousin. One day you're going to grow up and you'll be as smart and wise as I am. A few weeks later, that same cousin led me to Christ. Amen. What happened is, yeah. What happened was, that validation I was looking for, that emptiness that I had in my life, Jesus filled it. So, Jesus, he meets a woman by the well in the Gospel of John. And he says to this woman, if you drink this water, you're still going to be thirsty. Because he knew that the thirst that she had in her life was deeper than a physical thirst. And some of us try to meet that thirst, that emptiness in our life with maybe Material possessions, success, money, all the different things, addictions. But Jesus says, no matter what you try, 
you'll never be able to feel that thirst. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you shall never thirst again. But from inside of you shall flow a stream of living water that bubbles up to eternal life. And that's what Jesus did to me. He filled me to overflowing. And he continues to fill me to overflowing. And I hope that he's filling you to overflowing. And if he's not, come back to him and drink. I remember Mark once, he gave a message. And he says, if you're feeling thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. If you're feeling thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. He'll fill you to overflowing. So that's my story. And you have a story. All of our stories are going to be different. And they need to be different because they're going to impact different people in different ways. So you need to get familiar with telling your faith story within about three to four minutes, and you can use this outline as a guide. So as you go home, whenever you get some time, get familiar, find out what your faith story is, put it on paper, and it'll help you to tell it. So that, that's our story. And then we go on to God's story. God's story is he's God. He's great. He loves us. He created us for a loving relationship with him, but we messed it up. But he sent his son Jesus to put it right. We're going to go more into God's story as we go into our next witnessing method, which is the method of clicker. Steps to peace with God. If you could go into your pack and take out your steps to peace with God booklet. This is a very simple booklet. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It shows people the steps to have peace with God. So, what I'm going to ask you to do in a few minutes is pair up. So, steps to peace with God. We have step one. Step one is God's purpose. God created us in love to have a life of love and peace with him. Step two is the problem. The problem is sin. Sin separates us from God. Step three is God's remedy. The cross brings us back to God. And step four is our response. How do we respond to what God has done? So what I'm going to ask you to do is, in pairs, could you go through this with each other? So one of you is going to have to be the sinner. One of you is going to have to be the saint. I'll let you decide who's going to play those roles best. You do that in about two or three minutes, do that. Maybe take it in turns, maybe do... Steps one and two, swap around, the other person does steps three and four. So I'll give you two or three minutes to go through that, try and make it as natural as possible, and just share that with the person who you're sitting next to. Thank you. You can have a bit of music in the background. If I could ask you to come back, I'm going to have to cut you a bit short, as time is ticking. Okay, hope that went really well. Hope somebody got saved. Nice one, Roy. Could count on you, Roy. Okay. So your homework is to take this booklet home with you and find someone to share it with them. Just say to them, you know what, I went to a seminar on the weekend and they've given us some homework. Could you help me? And they'll feel too bad to say no, so then you get to share the gospel with them. So that's your homework. Okay. And we can go on to our last method, which is the bridge to life illustration. This is one of my favorite ways of sharing the gospel. It's, you can do it very spontaneously, and it's great for visual learners. In order to do this, you're going to need to have some scripture committed to memory. So if you look back again at the blue book, at the back of the blue book, those scriptures that Mark spoke about, you're going to need to know these and some other key gospel scriptures in order to be able to share the gospel. It's great to share the gospel, 
But when you can share the gospel with the word of God, you know it's going to have power. You know it's going to be sharp. So let me encourage you to start thinking about investing in remembering the word of God, memorizing the word of God. It's kind of like a cowboy always having his Smith & Wesson in the holster, ready to draw on it at any time, like Christian cowboys. Like The wages of sin is death. No, we don't start with that. What do we start with? We start with love. For God so loved the world. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Okay. So we can look at the bridge to life illustration. You'll find this on page 58. And as I go through this, feel free to draw it out as I go through it. This is how I share this. You'll find your own way of sharing this. Okay. So it basically starts with love. God is love. And that's why God created us. God created us for a loving relationship with him. That we could know him and be in a loving relationship with God. He's not an external force or a God that we can't know. And God didn't create us to be robots so we just do what he says. He created us for a loving relationship with him. The problem is sin. Romans says that all have sinned. Sin is all the wrong things that we've done in life. And we know what those wrong things are. We don't even need God to tell us. We just know when we've done wrong. And the problem is, is sin is that sin separates us from God. Not only does sin separate us from God, and now God is over there and we're over here, it leaves a void in our life, which is the reason why so many people fill that void in their life. It's because they're separate from the God that they were meant to be in relationship with. But not does only sin separate us from God, because sin is a violation of God's holy law. Just like when we violate a law here, there's a penalty. There's a penalty for violating God's law. Romans says that the penalty for our sin is death. And that is death once here, but also eternal death. Because we are eternally separated from God. Eternally separated from death. From, sorry, from life, which means we are in eternal death. So what do we do? We know that we have sinned. The Bible says that we know that we've sinned and we're separated from God and there's a penalty looming, what do we do? So maybe some people say, you know what, I'll do good deeds, you know, I'll help old ladies cross the street, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mow the lawn, I'll wash the dishes, I'll take out the trash, I'll do all those good things, and maybe that will take away my sin and connect me to God again. But the Bible says in Isaiah that our deeds, our good deeds to God, trying to use our good deeds to God to get rid of our sin and bridge that gap, it's almost like trying to pay God off with dirty handkerchiefs. It's never going to happen. So our good deeds will never bridge that gap and take away our sin. Or maybe if I'm a good person. Or maybe if I'm a religious person. You know what? I won't just do good things. I'll be good. I'll be honest. I won't tell lies. And you know what? I'll be religious as well. I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll do all these charitable things. So if I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, then maybe that will take away my sin and bridge that gap to God again. But Romans says that not one person is good. That no one is good. That every person has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. So not one person can stand before God and say, God, I'm innocent. Because God will see our sin and say, no, you are guilty. So what do we do? We know that we've sinned. We know that we still have this sin issue. And we're separate from God. What can we do about it? The answer is not what can we do, it's about what God did about it. This is what God did about it. He sent his son, Jesus. 
The Bible says that Jesus, he lived a perfect life. That Jesus was tempted in every way that we were tempted to do wrong, yet he did not sin. The Bible says that Jesus had no sin, that Jesus knew no sin, and that Jesus did no sin. So when God looks at Jesus, he looks at his son and says, you are perfect, you are innocent before me. But when God looks at us, he sees our sin. So what did God do? He did something amazing because of the love he has for us. He took our guilt and our shame and he placed it on Jesus. And he took Jesus' innocence and purity and he placed it on us. We call that the great exchange. So when we come to the cross, we say, Jesus, I have this sin issue. I'm separate from God. Please help me. This is what Jesus does. Takes our sin from us and he took it upon himself and he nailed it to the cross. So now we can be forgiven for our sins. And Corinthians says that he who knew no sin, Jesus who had no sin, he became sin for us. So we could be reconnected with God. That's the gospel. The Bible also says that whoever receives Jesus, whoever believes in what he did for them, he's given the right to become children of God again. So let me ask everybody in this room, Today, this morning, February 1st, where are you? Where are you on this? Are you there, reconnected with God, knowing that you've been forgiven for your sins? Or are you over here? Knowing that you still have sin controlling your life and that you've not come to Jesus and asked him to take away your sin so you can be forgiven. If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to get that right. So if everyone can bow their heads, I'm going to say a prayer. You say it along with me. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. You created me to be in relationship with you. I know that I've sinned. Jesus, I come to you now. Take away my sin. Give me your righteousness. Give me your innocence. So I can be reconnected with God. Amen. If you just said that prayer for the first time, or maybe you said it again, but it's meant something to you, God promises that he's good and faithful to forgive you of all of your sins and reconnect you to himself. If you just said that prayer and it's meant something, Come and talk to me or some of the team during the break or at the end of the session today. So that is our third method of sharing the gospel, the bridge to life illustration. And that's what it might look like if you draw this out. You draw this on a napkin, piece of paper, family and friends, people while you're at work so they can see the gospel. Okay, awesome. So let me quickly go back to, if you could take out your red booklet, your red book, Living in Christ, the Gospel of John. Okay, so let me paint a picture for you. It's June. We're at the Birmingham Arena. We've got thousands of people who have come to hear the Gospel. Thousands of people who don't know Jesus are in that arena, come to hear about Jesus. Franklin Graham, he's just preached the Gospel, and he's given an invitation for people who don't know Jesus to come down to the front and commit their lives to Christ. So what happens is, as the people come forward... A response counsellor 
is going to come forward with this book and stand next to somebody. And then they're going to, page to t- turn to page three. So everyone can turn to page three. What the response counselor will do is they'll go and stand with the person who's come forward to commit their lives to Christ. They will read through those steps with them. So there's four steps, very similar to the steps to steps with peace with God. So they can understand the gospel. Generally, there's going to be three types of response. People are going to respond to give their lives to Jesus for the first time. Or they're going to respond to recommit their lives to Jesus. Or they're going to respond because they want assurance that they are actually at peace with God. Maybe they're Christians that have been going to church, but maybe they're not sure that they're actually at peace with God. So those are going to be like the three major reasons somebody will come forward. So no matter what the reason is, the response counselor will always take them through page three. Page three, it explains the gospel so they know exactly how the gospel has impacted their life. At the end of page three, there's a prayer of commitment and they'll lead them in that. Then, once the response counselor has taken them through page three, they'll then turn to either page four, five or six, depending on the nature of their response. So for page four, it'll be for people with a first-time decision. Page five will be people for assurance. And page six, for people who want to recommit their life. So after you've gone through page three, you'll then turn to the appropriate page. So for instance, if it's a first-time decision, you go to page four, and then you'll just simply walk them through that page. So you'd go through it and you'd say, okay, so the Bible says that Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And then you go into the question, what did Jesus say he would do if you asked him to come into your life? He says, I will come in. Then you carry on. The Bible says to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Go to the next question. So what happened when you received him and you received Jesus? I became one of God's children. So the answers are all there and they're in bold. This is really important because the person who's there making that commitment to Christ, they can see that their commitment, their decision, it's not rooted in the event or in Franklin Graham, but it's rooted in the word of God. So that's going to be the awesome role of the response counsellor. Speaking of response counsellors, could you all take at your response counsellor application form, please? Now, we want to see thousands of people become Christians in June, right? I'll ask that again. We want to see thousands of people become Christians in June, right? Right. So you know what that means? It means we're going to need a lot of response counsellors. So please, let me encourage you to volunteer to become a response counsellor. Even if you're not sure at this moment in time, let me encourage you, fill out the form anyway. And between now and June, you can make up your mind. And hopefully God will convict you. So, let me just quickly read you through the response counsellor form. So, at the top, it's basic details, name and address, contact details. Then, what church you regularly attend. So we can find out who our response counsellors are going to be. Because the Graham Association, they're committed to making sure that our guests are treated with value and respect. So we want to know who our response counsellors are a little bit. Then it goes on to ask you what kind of skills you have. If you have an enhanced DBS, a valid one, make sure you circle or tick that. Because we need people with enhanced DBS certificates so you could do some special ops response counselling. Then a few tick boxes at the end, sign and date. On the back, there's a release statement. I've got a summary of what the release statement is so you can know what it is you're signing up for. I'll quickly read that out now. So the release statement basically covers these things. You're saying that you have a personal faith in Jesus, that you're agreeing to appropriate conduct, that you're there to represent the 
Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, not yourself or another ministry, that you have no criminal background in violence, sexual misconduct or fraud, that you're confirming that you're going to be a volunteer, so you're not expecting any payments, that you're agreeing that if you're recorded, you won't expect any payment about that, that you'll keep all private confidential information to yourself, that we can keep your contact details online so we can contact you, and there's a link to the Statement of Faith. The Statement of Faith basically covers the Bible's authority, God in three persons in one, the deity of Christ, and all people need salvation through Jesus. If you have any questions about the release statement on the back, please feel free to ask the team downstairs during the break or at the end of today's session. So, if I could please ask you all now to take two or three minutes to fill out this form. We're going to play a little bit of music. Take two or three minutes to fill out the form. Thank you so much. Every great move of God needs God's people. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for volunteering. So yeah, I want to just pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for all your amazing men and women in this room. Father, my first prayer is they will just know how much you love them. They will know how much you love them, Father God. And there's nothing they can do, Father God, that will ever stop you from loving them. And that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. Father, I pray that everything that we've learned so far this morning, Father God, it would have somehow hit home. And that you would encourage them, Father God, and give them more confidence and passion to share your gospel. But Father, I pray that they do authentically. Not that they're trying to be somebody else, but let them share the gospel authentically because they know you for themselves. Let them share the truth about the God that they know. So Father, I want to thank you for these precious people. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's thank Leon for that, shall we? That is just great. Well done, Leon.